2: There are certain sounds you expect to hear on an oil rig. There's the roar of the rig's diesel engine, the clank of steel and iron, roughnecks cussing one another. But not this.
0: let it go, the song, uh-huh. he downloaded it
3: as his ringtone. Uh-huh. So when his phone would ring out in the oil field, it, it was a frozen song, and everybody would make fun of him. And he's like, I don't care, it's, it's for my grandbaby. That's what they call me.
2: Arturo Martinez Jr. was a roughneck from my hometown of Andrews. Like a lot of guys in this line of work, Jr. was a little rough around the edges. But his tough guy exterior never fooled anyone for long. Here's his wife, Sinaida.
3: Their friends would tell my girls, your dad looks mean, and they're like, oh my God, he looks mean, but he's just a big old teddy bear with tattoos and stuff.
2: (laughs) The Martinez family was huge. Four generations lived in or near Andrews, and Junior, the tattooed teddy bear, was the center of the Martinez family universe. Here's Alex Sandoval, Junior's daughter-in-law.
1: To me, he was goofy, like always loud, laughing. Everything that he did was about his grandkids and his kids and his wife, like always making people laugh.
2: There's nothing glamorous about working on an oil rig. You're often covered from your hard hat to your steel-toed boots in oil, grease, and pipe dope. Even strong men like Junior get worn out by the physical demands of a 12-hour shift. But if Junior was tired from his long days of tripping pipe on the rig, he never let on once he was home.
1: Yes. Oh yeah, he would come home and you know that he busted butt out there, but you wouldn't even tell that he just got off of work. He would be full of energy, playing with his grandkids.
2: On weekends when he wasn't working, Junior would gather the family at his father-in-law Victor's home, just past the city limits of Andrews. The two-story house is surrounded by pastures full of mesquite trees. Junior typically did the grilling. The grown-ups would drink beer and listen to music while the kids ran around and played. During football season, they'd always turn on the Cowboys game. It was one of these barbecues on March 8, 2015, that marked the last time most of Junior's family would ever see him. I'm Christian Wallace, and this is Boomtown, a podcast about the biggest oil boom in Texas history and the people who call the Permian Basin home. In this episode, we're going to tell you a story about Roughnecks. Despite all the remarkable advances in technology, the oil that fuels our everyday lives, our vehicles, our planes, the heavy machines we use to pave roads, build cities, and harvest crops, all of that still begins with the tens of thousands of rig hands who wake up before the crack of dawn every morning to pump crude from the ground. Oh, bombs, the same old drum. In the dirty it's dangerous work. My mom actually cried when I first told her that I was going to work as a roughneck to pay off my college loans. She had reason to be worried. The Center for Public Integrity found that more than 1,500 oil and gas workers were killed on the job between 2008 and 2017. That's about the same number of U.S. soldiers who died fighting in Afghanistan over that same period of time. We often hear about the price of oil, the price per barrel, the price per gallon, but for roughnecks and their families, the price can be far steeper. This is episode four, Life and Death on the Rig. The Martinez's are, in many ways, a quintessential oil-filled family. Roughnecking is a trade that goes back generations. Junior's dad, Arturo Sr., made his reputation in the patch. In the understated parlance of West Texans, Sr. was known as a good hand. It's one of the highest compliments you can give a roughneck. It means he was reliable and hardworking. And Junior, like his brother and many of his cousins, followed in his father's footsteps. By 2015, Junior had worked in the oil patch for nearly three decades, most of his adult life.
3: Yeah, but he was really, really good at his work because he could quit one job today, and by tomorrow he'd have another job in a different oil field company. So he, he was really good, and he loved it.
2: Junior worked as a floorhand one of the four positions that make up a typical rig crew. There are two floor hands that work on the rig floor, and they use a huge hydraulic wrench to screw together joints of pipe that are run in and out of the well. Working some 50 feet above the rig floor is the Derrick man. He helps guide the long sections of pipe as the floor hands make their connections. It's a coveted position. The Derrick man is paid a little extra for the added risk of falling to his death. And then there's the rig operator he's the captain of the ship. He works a series of joysticks and levers that control the rigs every move. For roughnecks, an 80-hour work week is not unusual. In fact, it's often the goal. Overtime pays time and a half. The work itself is strenuous and backbreaking. Imagine spending your day lifting 30-foot joints of steel pipe that weigh over 100 pounds each. Because there's always the risk of a flash fire, Roughnecks are required to wear heavy, flame-resistant shirts and jeans called FRs. And out on the rig, it's often brutally hot. Unless it's not, in which case it's often miserably cold. It also stinks of H2S, a poisonous gas that seeps up from below ground and smells like rotten eggs. Frequent high winds stir up dirt devils that blast sand in your face. On a really dirty job, you might go through four or five pairs of gloves in just one shift. And even at the end of the day, you never really leave the oil field behind. This is Junior's wife, Sinaida, again.
3: It's so funny, though, because he'd come with oil and stuff like in their ears or whatever, and my, my girls were always like, Dad, you got oil in your ear? He's like, baby, I'm saving that oil. One day we're gonna be rich.
2: <laughs> as difficult as the job can be, working in the patch does have its rewards. There's a sense of camaraderie among rig hands, and in West Texas, there's a lot of pride that comes with being a roughneck. And of course, the pay is pretty damn good too. While manufacturing and factory jobs are disappearing across America, the Permian is one of the few places where a person without a college degree can work hard and make a good living for their family. Here's Andrea, the second of Junior's three daughters.
4: Every time he would get paid, payday, he'd be like, let's go, you know, and then gonna go take y'all shopping, go get you nails done, whatever it was. And my mom would be like, you spend too much money on them. But of course, she was always with us too, so she was getting spoiled too.
2: When Junior and Sonada's youngest daughter, Sadie, got pregnant at 15, the child's father immediately quit high school and went to work. Rogelio, or Roy as most called him, landed a high-paying job as a machinist at an oil servicing company. He was later laid off during a downturn, but Junior told his son-in-law to come work with him and Senior. And so, in late 2014, three generations of the Martinez family went to work on the same rig. Roy quickly learned to hold his own.
3: I had never seen a kid that young that was so responsible.
2: Senior was the rig operator. He was notoriously tough on his crew. Some called him the whip. He had good reason to be. Every time his rig was up and running, millions of dollars of equipment and the lives of the men working the rig were literally in his hands. And there are plenty of things that can go wrong. Each well comes with its own particular quirks. You might hit pockets of poisonous gas. Sometimes the pressure spits up old drilling mud and other nasty muck all over the rig hands. There's not much room for error, and errors happen all the time. There are a lot of moving parts on a rig, and if a piece wears out or breaks, it can be deadly. Communication on rigs can also be difficult, with all the noise and the derrick man working 50 feet above the rig floor. One wrong move by a crew member can cause a heavy chunk of metal to crush another man's finger clean off his hand. And if the pressures and fluids aren't constantly maintained, every well has the potential to become a bomb. In the Permian, it's common to hear about oil field accidents on the nightly news. New
3: details tonight in a tragic oilfield accident in Midland County. One man was crushed to death, another was injured on a well site this morning.
4: Tonight, we're taking a closer look at safety in the oil field. Well, the oil field, it's always been like that, you know. It doesn't matter if you're afraid of it or you're not. If accident's accident is going to happen, it's going to happen, you know. You know you're going to work, but you don't know if you're going to make it back home or not. It's pretty
2: rough. That's Victor Martinez, Junior's father-in-law. Candice Ruiz runs Dark Horse Safety, a company based out of Andrews that specializes in training other oilfield companies in safety compliance. She's also been hired to investigate fatalities in the patch. She says the heightened pates of today's frenzied boom has brought additional dangers. I think our biggest concern is the oil and gas industry is so fast-paced. When I get a call for equipment, it's usually, Candace, I needed
0: that yesterday. Like, I'm in a hurry, I'm in a bind, I need it now. So everything is very fast-paced. Well, when you have a very fast-paced industry, that means that if you're
4: blowing and going like that, then a lot of things are taking a backseat. Mm-hmm. And it, a lot of the times, if
2: it's like that, safety is the thing that
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: There are actually two types of land rigs. There are drilling rigs, which are massive and, as the name implies, used to drill new wells. And there are workover rigs, which are basically smaller, mobile versions of drilling rigs. On workover rigs, the derrick folds down over the top of a big truck, so it can then drive from one job to the next. Most of the time, workover rigs are used to repair older wells that aren't flowing properly, and they tend to be more dangerous than drilling rigs. There's often no one around to supervise a crew. You do your work alone with just the big sky and mesquite trees there to witness. The Martinez men rough necked on workover rigs, the same kind that I did. My closest call on a rig came one scorching day in June 2013. I was working on the rig floor when I heard a loud popping noise. The sound of metal striking metal in the derrick. I thought the whole rig might be coming down, so I jumped over the side rail some eight feet to the ground. I was running away from the rig as soon as my boots hit the dirt. I ran nearly half a football field before turning around to see what had happened. The operator was slumped over the brake handle, and the floor hand was laying on the rig floor about three feet from where I had jumped. The sand line, a wire cable more than half an inch thick that's meant to hold an extraordinary amount of weight, had snapped. Spinning violently back around the winch drum, the cable had unraveled into strands of flailing wire. The operator had been struck in the back. His shirt was ripped between the shoulder blades. There were gashes where the cable had hit him. The other floor hand was hit in the leg. He had to pull some wire out of his calf. By the time I drove him to the hospital, his boot had filled with blood. No one was seriously injured that day, but a buddy who works in safety told me it could have been much, much worse. Normally when a sand line breaks, you don't take a man to the hospital, he said. You pick pieces of him out from around the drum. March 10th, 2015 started out like any other Tuesday morning in the Martinez home. Junior and Sonita got up long before the sun rose. Sonita made breakfast while Junior showered. Roy and Sadie lived with them at the time. Roy was 19 and Sadie 18. They had recently welcomed their second child, a boy named Dominic. On most mornings, Roy would rush out of bed to beat Junior to the shower, and Sadie would get up to make his lunch. But this morning, Roy and Sadie stayed in bed a little longer. Here's Sadie's aunt. Victoria Garcia.
3: And that morning he just held her in bed and told her, I'll buy lunch today, let me just told you a little more, and he sat in bed and he held her.
2: Roy finally climbed out of bed and got dressed, but before leaving that morning, Senina said he did something else that was a little unusual.
3: What, what I remember most about that morning, though, was... um Right, I turned around to kiss my daughter and, and his, his babies. He walked out the door and he came back in and he gave him another kiss and another hug. And that just sticks to me every day.
2: Like he did every morning, Arturo Sr. swung by the house around 5.30 a.m. to pick up Roy and Junior in his company truck. They probably stopped at a gas station before heading out of town. They would have fueled up and added ice to their water cooler. They would have chatted with the other crews doing the same thing. Then, the three men and another rig hand headed to a location in Upton County, about 100 miles southeast of Andrews. That morning, the men arrived at the rig around 7.30. After that, they would have gone into the doghouse to change out of their street clothes, hang them in the lockers, and pulled on their dirty FRs. They would have snagged a fresh pair of cotton gloves, put on their hard hats, and then head out to the rig. At the time, they were working on a rig owned by an Odessa-based company called Mason Well Service. Their job that morning was to place a blowout preventer on a well, something they'd done many times before. Sonida had gone back to sleep after Roy and Junior left. A few hours later, around 10 a.m., she was startled awake.
3: And I heard banging on the door, and then um, I heard my brother's voice, and he's like, get up, get up, and I'm thinking, my brother, if anybody knows my brother, my brother's loud. He's just trying to get me up. And he's saying, um, they said there was an accident out there where Junior and them were and it's not good. And i was like, what do you mean? He said, the rig exploded. And I said, well, where's the guy? He said, they're not here no more. I just remember us screaming and crying and, and my daughter telling us, hush, hush, it's not true, it's not true. She grabbed her phone and she just kept calling her over and over and over and over. She stayed like that, I believe, for like an hour. She's like, it's not true. She kept screaming, like, answer your phone, answer your phone.
2: Word of the accident spread quickly, and members of the Martinez family rushed over to Sonida's. Alexis, Junior's oldest daughter, happened to walk into the kitchen just as her grandpa broke the news to her partner, Alex.
1: I had barely walked in when he was telling her, that no one on the rig made it. And in my head, I was just like, oh my gosh, I have to go tell my mom about my dad. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped and I started thinking, and I was like, my grandpa and Roy are on the same crew. And they said no one lived, so did we just lose these three men?
2: Alexis called her sister. Andrea had gotten up early that morning to make lunch for her husband, Cameron, who also works in the oil field. She and her kids had gone back to sleep and Alexis's call woke her up. She jumped in her car and raced over to Sonida's. She didn't even bother to put on her shoes.
4: As soon as I seen everybody there and my mom crying, I just knew it was bad, like I knew it was really bad. And that like killed me, like just walking up, knowing I'm gonna find out the worst news ever, you know, was that my dad passed. And I just remember my grandpa like, like, this can't be true. Like, how do you know if they're not okay? Like, so my grandpa was calling everybody, trying to find out, you know, if they were okay or not. And nobody was giving them information. And finally they found out, Yep, it's all you know, there's only one survivor. And the rest passed. It was a true nightmare.
2: Throughout the day, the rest of the Martinez family and close friends made their way to Sonida and Junior's house. Officers from the Andrews Police Department came by to confirm what everyone had feared but prayed wasn't true. All three men were dead. Six days later, a funeral was held for the three men at the Andrews Community Center. Hundreds came to give their respects. The building was so packed that some attendees had to stand outside The men were laid to rest in the order they fell. Roy, Arturo Sr., and then Junior. Junior's pallbearers wore Dallas Cowboys jerseys. On Arturo Sr.'s headstone, like so many others at the cemetery in Andrews, a rig was etched into the marble. A mariachi band played Cruz de Madera. In English, the first verse reads, a wooden cross of the most common that is what I ask when I die. I do not want luxuries or adobe tables. I do not want the box worth millions. The only thing I want is to sing songs. A great party for the death of a poor. A tragedy of this magnitude where three members of one family die in a single blast is obviously not common even in a dangerous industry like this one. Local media covered the accident extensively.
3: And a rig explosion this morning in Upton County leaves an Andrews family mourning the loss of three family members.
2: For one Andrews woman, she lost a husband, a father, and a brother in this morning's explosion. The three leave behind many children and multiple grandchildren. OSHA, the federal agency responsible for regulating workplace safety, is charged with ensuring companies are meeting safety standards in the oil field. After the accident, OSHA performed an investigation. The few eyewitnesses were interviewed and the scene of the accident was examined for clues. The investigation was complex. It took six months. Finally, in September 2015, OSHA concluded its investigation. The agency determined that Mason Well Service had, quote, failed to prevent contact between an ignition source and flammable liquids and gases. In other words, they failed to properly prevent conditions that could cause a fire. On a well that's leaking highly flammable gas, there are all sorts of potential ignition sources. Wherever the spark came from, the gas ignited and went up like a fireball. The fire was so hot, it twisted the rig's steel derrick and burned the men's company truck that was parked nearby. It took three days to control the blaze. The OSHA report stated that Roy, Arturo Sr. and Jr. all died from burns.
4: I think when the well exploded, they caught on fire too, so they didn't have a chance at all.
2: In reality, OSHA is severely limited. Working in the oil field is multifaceted and complex. And a government agency that oversees every industry from residential construction to automobile factories can't regulate a rig's every move. Because OSHA investigations are so limited, we may never know exactly what happened that day. OSHA ended up fining Mason a total of $50,400. The Martinez family was paid workers' compensation and settled with Mason for an undisclosed amount. Shortly after the accident, Mason Well Service shut down and its assets were sold to Eagle Completions USA, whose CEO is the daughter of Mason's principal owner. Eagle is still active in the Permian Basin, Today, the family still meets at Victor's house on the outskirts of Andrew's for weekend barbecues. That's where I met with the family to talk with them about the men they had lost. Sanaida made everyone taquitos from scratch. You could smell them cooking from where we sat at the dining table. The memory of the three men is constantly present at Victor's. There are three wooden crosses in the backyard where the men's work boots are buried. Through the living room window, You can see the car that Roy had bought shortly before he died. He had hoped to work on it with his son someday. It's still parked underneath a tree out front. The family often talks about Junior's laugh and his frozen ringtone. And Junior's oldest granddaughter still misses her best friend. She calls him her BFF? Mm Mm-hmm,
4: yeah, her best friend. She was all, my grandpa's my best friend, like, even till this day, you know, like, we talk about him, she's like, yeah, I remember we were best friends, and I'm like, yeah, y'all were.
2: <laughs> the blowout has shifted how some members of the family feel about the oil field. Here's Alexis.
1: You know, I have a cousin who's at that age where he's working, you know, and I, I didn't want him in the oil field. I didn't want any of my cousins on my dad's side to go back to work in
2: the oil field but leaving the old patch isn't all that simple. Has it made you consider like leaving to go somewhere else?
1: Honestly, no. And I say no because all my family's here. And then, of course, this is where my dad is laid to rest. And although he's not physically here, I can go to the cemetery and talk to him, you know, and sit there however long I want. And I know if I move, you know, I, I don't have that.
2: Many of the Martinez men still work in the oil field. One of them was Junior's brother-in-law, Ray. He was embittered by the loss of the men and had sworn off Mason Well Service.
3: And my brother hated that company so bad. He he swore he'd never, ever step foot in Mason. And they changed their name, and, well, they needed hands, and... He went to work with them afterwards
2: about a year and ago. He felt so bad about it. He
3: says, I feel like I'm betraying the guys
4: because I'm working here, but this is where I ended up.
2: Andrea's husband, Cameron, has also gone back to work in the patch.
4: There's times where like, he'll go to a location and he has no service on his phone and I'm mm-hmm. sitting there worried out of my mind, haven't heard from him. And usually like, he'll text me and if I don't get a message from him or if I don't get a phone call, like, he calls me like, when, you know, every, time, every chance he gets. So... When I don't hear from him, it, it worries me so bad. Like, and I can't sit there and deal with it. I just start thinking of everything that happened and it's so scary and I'll be constantly checking the news and, you know, like going through Facebook, seeing if anybody's posting anything about, you know, any accidents or anything. And I'm just, I'm worrying myself really bad.
2: I was able to catch up with one of Senior's grandsons, Joshua Martinez, on one of his rare evenings off. Like his grandfather and uncle, Joshua is a roughneck. He says that before the blowout, Senior had told him that he didn't expect to have a retirement. He was in that job for life until the end.
0: That's what he did, man. He always told us that he was going to die on that brake handle. He said, yeah. he said Me I will, I guess where you can find me, I'm going to die here. And that's what happened. He was that's not so going to retire. No, sir. Wow. And that's so crazy how it happened. Yeah. I, mean, he, I guess he called
2: it. Joshua is 28 now, and he's been working in the oil field since he was a teenager. After the blowout in 2015, he struggled with whether or not to return to his own job on the rigs.
0: About a year, I, would, I took off the rigs and I started to work at a car wash business, started detailing cars.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it took me a while, about a year, and after I went back, I still had trouble working. Mm-hmm. I still feel like stuff was going to explode or something, you know, uh, but I was always cautious. To just feel like something was about to happen. That's what I felt like.
2: Like, what, why'd you decide to go back? I was tied on money. Mm-hmm.
0: I had tried to find another, you uh, know, like a shop job, but no mm-hmm. old field, but working in the shop. Like machinist or something? Yes, sir, but I couldn't get the job. No one would hire me, so I tried after that, and I went back to the, to the rigs
2: and got the job real quick, so I guess it was meant to be. We were sitting in Joshua's bedroom. His wife was cleaning in the kitchen, his two small children were playing in the living room. On the dresser was a bandana that read, son of a Derek man. And on the wall was a photo of the three men killed in the blowout. Does that also like affect the way that, you know, before you leave for work with your kids? Oh yeah, I always kiss them goodbye, man. Just
0: you never know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Never know if you're gonna make it home, so. Yeah. Never try to leave me and, me and the wife fighting or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to leave on a good note,
2: Case mm-hmm. your kids by. What do you feel like the the difference between like the risk and the reward? Do you feel like the rewards outweigh that risk? Or do you think it's a toss up? Or how do you square that? I don't think there is no squaring,
0: bro. It's, there's no squaring. I don't think there is no squaring there, man. You just gotta take the risk to get the reward sometimes. Yeah. Coming home to my kids is my reward to mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. Yes, sir.
2: On the next episode, we're going to do something a little different. Our guest host, Susan Elizabeth Shepard, takes us inside the wild world of Boomtown sex workers. Boomtown is a co-production of Imperative Entertainment and Texas Monthly. Executive producer is Jason Hoke. Produced and engineered by Brian Standifer, who also wrote the score. Boomtown is edited by J.K. Nickel and Megan Kreit and co-reported by Leif Riegstad. Our theme song is written and performed by Paik Rossi. I'm your host and writer, Christian Wallace. Texas Monthly's parent company also owns interest in the midstream oil and gas industry, among other diversified investments. Our editorial judgments are made independently of any such investments. Don't forget to tell your friends about Boomtown and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you like the show. Boomtown is a 10-episode series with new episodes available every Tuesday. Follow us on social media and visit texasmonthly.com boomtown for more on this story.